You guys. You guys. You I gotta tell ya, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Are you? Are you excited right now? You just can't hide it. You just can't hide it. You guys, I'm about to lose my mind. And I like it. I think I like it. I think I gotta whisper. Everybody in the house is sleeping. And I got that jolt of energy for episode 157. I think I got seven good minutes in me, which I'll stretch to 30, of course, as always. You saw that a lot in sports radio. A host who had a three-hour show, he probably had 17 good minutes and just stretched and stretched it and stretched it. After the break, I'll let you know who the best hitter was in the American League back in 19... Who the fuck is waiting through the commercial break for this? All right, just picture this. Just really picture something in your mind right now, and it might look ridiculous, but I'm going to walk you through it. In the late 90s, if I was going to high school, on my way to high school, and I brought a Nintendo console, I brought my CD player and all my CDs, and I brought some videos and a VCR, and I brought my pagers so everyone can contact me. Everyone I know can contact me. I'm headed to high school. I got my CD player so I can listen to every song that I have I got my Nintendo. I could play video games, right? I'm just going to school. I also have a TV on a stand. I'm just going to wheel in with me. Okay, I'm just headed to a public high school. Got all that shit with me. My mom sees me leaving with all of that. She doesn't say anything. She allows it. She permits it. I arrive. I unpack it all. First period. English class. And it's up to the teacher, my teacher, to regulate the classroom. I brought in a TV, Nintendo, CDs, all the good stuff. That teacher has to navigate through all of the obstacles to present a lesson plan, to capture my attention. Hell no, right? Of course not. See, it sounds so absurd, you can't picture it. However, nowadays, let's be totally honest. When the students come into your classroom, or when the students come into my classroom and they have these iPhones, and they're not tucked away, they're not zipped in the backpack, put away in the purse, in a pocket. Now, these kids are at Starbucks. Just put the phone on the desk next to the assignment, next to the laptop. You know what that phone is? It's every song they know. It's every Netflix show and movie ready to be streamed. It's every social media platform. It's video games. It's all the video games, really. It's YouTube, so it's all the videos. And it's communication with everyone you know. Family, friends, acquaintances, even people beyond your high school. People around the world. It's a communication device. That's all with you. And the teachers just say, phones away. Hey, put the phones away. It's time for chemistry. Hey, put the phones away. 
it's time to go over adverbs. All right, let's make sure those phones are away. I want you to really understand Napoleon Bonaparte's conquests. Folks, we lost. Lost the battle. Lost the battle. What percentage of kids can abide by that rule? No phones in a classroom. Very, very small percentage. What percentage of teachers can successfully enforce that at all times? Even an attentive student is going to check that phone from time to time and they wouldn't understand discipline. They wouldn't understand being punished for it. My parents let me have this. This device doesn't feel like I'm misbehaving. Could you imagine? I see kids playing video games all the time. Put it away, put it away, put it away. Could you imagine though bringing your Nintendo into a classroom and a teacher having to battle that? Having to compete with that for your attention? Shit. The current generation does not understand the idea of putting it away. They don't view it as rude. They don't view it as disruptive or disrespectful. They just don't. I got to speak to them with a new level of understanding. They just put a phone on their desk. And if I say put it away, they look confused. Wait, why? Why? This is everything. This is my everything. I gave a speech today to one of my classes. I just said, you're on the honor system to grow up. I'm not going to play whack-a-mole. I'm not doing this. You're in trouble and you're in trouble. And I'm calling your mom and I'm calling your mom and I'm meeting with your counselor and I'm sending you to the principal. I'm just saying, grow the fuck up without the profanity, without the profanity. I'm just asking them to meet me, meet me as a mature teen who's ready to absorb some info and eventually grab a diploma to open up a bunch of doors and green lights for a bright future and to become a solid member of society, you know, real uplifting speech. But the bottom line is put that shit away. Just put that shit away. Would 16-year-old me be able to focus if I knew in my backpack I had Nintendo, I had all my CDs, I had a television, had Game Boy, had a pager, had all the songs and all the movies, had communication, electronic communication happening all around me, in my pocket, it's vibrating, it's vibrating in my pocket, and the teacher's trying to do molecular equations? The teacher's talking about mitosis and meiosis? And I just got a vibration of an Instagram story of someone I know? Can we just simplify this? We lose. Who wins that battle? Who wins that battle? Teacher or a device that has everything? Plus, the kids were just sent home to the Zoom world for a whole year. The devices win. All right. There's no more solutions. There's no more. What should we do about phones in the classroom? It's just a classic we have lost. Even though it's all packaged nicely in a sleek iPhone, that represents so much shit that should not be in a classroom. And parents let it happen. Those parents that email, what could my kid do? What could my kid do? No, no, no. What could you do? Send them to school with a pen, a pencil, a calculator, some paper, and a charged up Google Chromebook. Don't send them to school with all of their video games, all of their music, and all of their Netflix. What what the fuck do you think, parents? What can my child do? Your child is overstimulated from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep. It's a societal issue, though. I'm not going to act like it's just in the high schools. It's all of the adults, too. Where's our attention going? I can't be a hypocrite. I can't be a hypocrite. I'm teaching the class. 
there's a part of me that's wondering what's going on what's going on in my pocket on that phone what's going on inside of that iphone i don't even know what succumbing to it means I got to give myself the same speech every day. Be present, be mindful, be attentive. And I talked with other teachers about this. Be a performer. You want to capture their attention? You bring that boring shit to them? Goodbye. Good night. You got to have so much energy. You got to be a device yourself. You got to be plugged in. Charged up. I was talking about that with some other teachers. I was like, have you found that the ability... To capture their attention is just a major challenge right now. Everyone's like, uh, yeah, this is straight theatrical teaching at this point. You even got to take attendance in an exciting way. There's no Ben Stein Bueller, Bueller. I will sing attendance. I will scream attendance. I'll dance through the roll sheet. Plus some of the shit seems obsolete. You know, if I'm really going to listen to them. I'm the authoritative figure, but if I'm going to listen to them, they'll probably say, we can learn a lot of this shit on our phones. I mean, you're sending us through the gauntlet of chemistry, biology, English, history, PE, art, Spanish. We're going through all of that. There's an app for all of this stuff. There's an app. I could learn Spanish. There's an app. I can watch a science video. There's an app for your history class. I know you lose the human element. I get it. I completely understand the value of socialization, interaction with an adult, a teacher who could be a confidant, a support system, a tutor to model the behavior. I fully understand the value, but do they? Or could it all be minimized to, here's an app. Folks, for the next two days, we're going to get into Haiti, the Haitian revolution. They'll just say, "Mm, yeah, I could probably just watch a YouTube video on that on my device some of them just don't understand the point anymore it just feels too medieval too antiquated you know what else seems medieval for a real rapid subject change just illegible graffiti i've also seen graffiti art i fully understand graffiti art that's not what i'm talking about some graffiti art is just downright beautiful talent colors vibrant But I'm talking about just some shit you see on a highway overpass. We're still doing this? Is this gang activity? How possessive are we? If we're tagging illegible shit on a sound barrier wall on the side of a highway. I was driving up the 101 and I just saw this big, ugly tag. Black spray paint on a sound barrier wall. And I'm looking at it like, okay, first of all, how dumb, right? How ugly. But is this gang activity? Are gangs still getting out there? encouraging the young gang members to spray paint some bullshit. I genuinely don't understand that one. You think gangs are taking it to Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, but gangs are very possessive still over territory, over land. What is this bullshit? You go back to Neanderthals if you want to communicate this way or flex on someone. Cave drawings, and we're still doing this? I'm thinking gangs have to have some improvements. Gangs have to evolve. If you're a gang in, I don't know, 1824, and you're like, we are going to write the name of our gang and something threatening on the clock tower in the middle of town, and they're going to know this is our territory. And everyone goes, yes, fuck yes. 
We're going to write the name of our gang. But now if you're just coming out there at 3 a.m. in a black hoodie and you're scribbling some bullshit, doesn't that feel like nothing was accomplished? Like you go back to your gang headquarters. I'm just wondering. This is all going through my mind because I truly don't understand tagging something that's just visual pollution. It's vandalism, of course. I, I know the crime behind it. Maybe that's it. They just like to break the law. And they scurry back to gang headquarters. Hey, boss, I did it. I wrote a capital S and then a W that seems maybe it's upside down. And then I did a ellipses, a dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then I, uh, I wrote fuck. I did. I did write fuck. I got scared. And then I, I did a skull. But it came out just looking like a sack of balls. And the gang leader just goes, well done. Well done. You did it. You nailed that highway overpass. You got the sound barrier wall on the side of a highway. You made sure to create an eyesore for everybody on the commute. Wonderful. What did we accomplish today? What did that gang accomplish? Or that rapscallion? Or that rebel? Nothing. Oh, don't worry. I googled it. First modern graffiti, you're wondering? First modern American graffiti? They say it's traced back to a kid named Cornbread. A high school rapscallion from the streets of Philadelphia going back to 1967. He would tag city walls to get the attention of a girl he liked. Oh, how charming, Cornbread. You know, that story is fine. I mean, it's probably annoying for people back then, but Cornbread wanted to get the attention of a girl he had a crush on, so he kept tagging up the walls. Okay. And there's also... Ways you could trace it back to World War II when the soldiers would write the phrase, Kilroy was here. And they'd put a simple sketch of a bald figure with a large nose peeking over a ledge just to have a feeling of connection for soldiers. I get that. A soldier sees another soldier he doesn't know, but it's the same design, the same logo. Okay, there's some charm to that story. I mean, it's still vandalism. But you could go back even further. Like I said, I just Googled this because I don't truly understand what causes a human to leave their home. I get, I, I get crime. I understand. I understand some crime. I understand shoplifting a sandwich if you're hungry. I understand robbing someone with money if you don't have money. I, I get some crime. But this I don't get. Tagging, I realized. I don't get it. Nah, I don't get it. And then what I found was the earliest were the caves in Lascaux, France. I'm just going to mispronounce that shit. Lascaux cave paintings in France. We're going prehistoric. We're going ancient. And to wrap this bullshit up, yes, yes, I have tagged. At Miller Creek Middle School, as a sixth grader, with Travis LeBoy, Mitch Arno, Ronnie Baroni, I'm calling all you fellas out. We did it. We did. I think we got caught. We went around... Writing things on the walls? We did. We did. Statute of limitations, guys. If you're listening, I don't think we're in any trouble. But didn't we kind of want to get in trouble? Bad to the bone? Smoke some cloves by the creek. Drink a Zima. Maybe a Red Dog. You remember that beer? Red Dog? Doesn't exist anymore. And I think we had chalk. God, how mild was that crime? I remember white markers or white chalk. Going around Miller Creek Middle. Hey, there's a lot of remorse tonight, okay? I have sinned, and I'm here to repent. I'm sorry. It didn't feel cool. I do remember that. 
Breaking some laws when you're young feels cool. That one, that didn't feel so cool. I think on the inside I was like, but guys, the library's a healthy place for us to learn. Why are we drawing the word boner? Fellas. It's a lose-lose. Because I care for the custodians of America. And those custodians right now are looking at the devious licks and saying, all right, fuck all of you. There's my two weeks notice. I'm going to work elsewhere. Teens of America. TikTok teens of America. Still doing them devious licks? Yeah, that's where the custodians just take a step back and go, nope, not today. Did my job, did everything I could to sanitize the whole school. And what's that? I just got word on the old walkie-talkie that they yanked a toilet out. I'm good. Okay, I'll pick up an application down the road. Farewell. And I also had this memory. You can now see the amount of thoughts just hovering above my head as I try to go to sleep. Insomnia is not always something I get upset with. I almost feel like sometimes that's when the best thinking happens. So I feel conflicted. I go, come on, thoughts go away. And then I'll have some thoughts. I go, wait, that's not bad. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, okay. I should probably write that down too. I want to do a mockumentary film with my journalism class. I want to do this simulation with my history students. So that's when I lesson plan a little bit. And then I go, uh-oh, 12 became 1 a.m. Became 2, 2.15 a.m. Shit, fuck, I'm going to be tired tomorrow. That means eight cups of coffee, but I can do it. I'm in this cycle. I'm in the cycle. I can do it. I could be tired and I could still rise to the occasion. Good. So insomnia is a weird little beast that I dance with at night. But I had this thought when I was on the radio, I had a co-host at one point. Good guy. Sherrod Williams, Josh and Sherrod. Welcome back. It's Josh and Sherrod stretching out all the content over four hours, 12 minutes of prep, four hours of excitement. But there were all sorts of promotions. You know, come and join us here at this bar. Come drink with us here. Come go to this game and sit with us. Come to the county fair where Josh and Sherrod are eating frog legs and funnel cake. Sounds great, but the people that show up, you're like, ooh, ooh, okay. All right, that's our demographic. But they once sent us up north to Lake Elsinore. Padres minor league team. Join Josh and Sherrod at Lake Elsinore, where they're going to be taking you on the field for BP. We did all this. They took us to Lake Elsinore. A bunch of listeners were with us. Take batting practice. And then a Texas Hold'em tournament. Got to play some poker in the daytime. And then there was still an hour to kill before first pitch. I had never been to a minor league baseball game. I was amped. Minor league baseball is a lot of fun. For the fans, not the players. That's where I'm going with this. But for that hour... They're just like, and now go drink with Josh and Sherrod. I was like, what the fuck? Okay, so batting practice, then play some poker, and then just sit in a bar with a bunch of listeners, telling stories, talking sports. It was fun. It was fun. The whole day was fun. And then we got to throw out the first pitch. Here's Josh and Sherrod. After a few Sierra Nevadas and some margaritas, ready to toss fastballs. I remember being nervous, but I threw a strike. I think Sherrod bounced his twice. Hey, I'm just going to call him out. And as you watch the game, you realize, oh, it's all bells and whistles and hijinks. It's just promotion after promotion to keep your attention. Minor League Baseball, it's packaged in a way that's family-friendly and fun. But a story just came out, and you can read this at ESPN.com, about what Minor League Baseball really is. 
it is absolute exploitation. And these guys are professional baseball players. And they all have the same dream to get to the show, to get to the bigs. But most people never really think about the amount of players that get drafted. Okay, so they have their dream come true. They get drafted in all the many rounds. Their phone rings. They probably get a tiny signing bonus. And then over 80% of them just toil away in this world of hell. And the article describes the hell of being a minor leaguer. It is straight poverty. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not embellishing. The funding for food and shelter, it's totally inadequate. Some of them live with guest families. These host families that do not have mansions, probably sharing a room with someone's younger sibling. Pantry full of fruit roll-ups that you can't touch. These host families, it's not exactly MTV Cribs. But the article talks about how a lot of these guys have such mental health issues because they can't really focus on the sport. They're trying to focus on their next meal. We're talking about a few guys that have been homeless in the Mets organization, in the Rays organization, in the A's organization. They're malnourished. They don't even get a per diem for enough food. These guys are skipping meals. They're not cool. They're not at bars picking up women. Where are you going to take them back to? Your host family's twin bed? the saddest shit you've ever heard and these owners these billionaire owners they could pay them more they could they're just skirting around these minimum wage laws hey we drafted you we made your dream come true last year it said most of these minor leaguers they were making about eight to fourteen thousand dollars throughout the season i'll say that again the season from april to october typical minor leaguer averages around 8k to 14k per year Okay, even with a decent signing bonus, you are eating less than top ramen. You're splitting your ramen. Okay, I'll have a third of the package for breakfast, a third of the package for lunch, and then at night I'll I'll get the rest of that ramen package. It's the weakest income to follow your dream. You're living the dream. You're a member of the Giants organization playing double A ball, waiting for the phone to ring. The poverty level in America, in most states, $12,000 $12,000 in annual income. If you're around that, twelve, thirteen thousand, $13,000, I believe, annual income, that's your poverty level. All of these guys, all of these guys toiling away. And it finally is coming to the surface after all these years. I bet they were told to shut up. Don't make us look bad. You talk about dangling a carrot in front of these guys. 21-year-old. Still strapping, strong and ready. Now a 34-year-old, just like, I have no other skills. I haven't met anyone. I hate my teammates. I hate the manager. Bus trip to bus trip to bus trip to fuck. I have depression. I need medication. They describe minor league life as the most undesirable profession. That and a custodian after devious licks. You do realize that the Lake Elsinore team, like they were really nice guys, Young guys, but they kind of have to do everything. These guys are probably chalking the lines before the game. Stitching their own uniforms. Not a lot of handouts. Not a lot of glamour and glitz, which was evident. Although they're in good spirits. Probably when you're young, you're in good spirits. I remember one of the guys who came on our show, he was the catcher. And he had the reputation of like the heart of the team, but no chance of ever going pro. Like really pro. 
But later that season, I think the Padres went through five catchers, and the guy was called up in his first at-bat. He went deep, hit a home run against the Reds. I'll never forget it. I forget his name, but I'll never forget Like, wow, that guy, he clearly didn't stay in the big leagues, but he had that one memory, and I'm thinking, is it all worth it? Like, if you're a minor leaguer and you get called up for a month, and that's it, is it all worth it? Like, most of these guys have to understand the statistics. You got a single-A, a double-A, a a, a triple-A team. Most of you guys aren't coming up. You're not coming up to the bigs. And you're probably going to plateau pretty hard after three or four years. Understanding, eh, if I don't turn to steroids or if something magical doesn't really happen, then safe to say I'll be in Sioux Falls for a while. Safe to say I'll be here in Durango for my adult life before I meet a nice little filly at the bar, have some kids and spend the rest of my time telling stories about what it was like on the diamond. Telling stories about the one time Cecil Fielder showed up in our dugout with a bottle of Belvedere and a buffet from Morton's Steakhouse for all of us. Cecil was a good guy. At least minor leaguers probably have a few great stories. And maybe they do have a cup of coffee in the majors. But you should read this, ESPN.com. It really... Put some pressure on the owners. God, I bet the owners were like, fuck, no, this finally happened. I'm avoiding the term slave labor. I'm avoiding it, but I guarantee that's how these guys talk. And they're still getting paid something. And I know most critics, you want to play devil's advocate. They say, pick a different path. If you can't make it to the big leagues, it's sink or swim. It's survival of the fittest. But the truth is, these owners could pay them a lot more. They're giving them Oscar Mayer baloney on that cheap white bread in the grocery store. You know the bottom shelf, dollar a loaf? That's what one of the A's players put on Instagram. Hey, here's my lunch. I'm a professional baseball player. A little Oscar Mayer limp baloney on that cheap white bread. Thanks, A's. We're living the dream. All right, what else is going on? Am I too loud? Am I waking up the house? I bet I am. I bet I am. I'm going to wake up in the morning and my wife's going to... Give me that evil eye. Hey, how was episode 157? Was it important? Yeah? Uh-huh. Because I was juggling the kids. No, that's not how she talks. I mean, if I'm scripting the scene, that's it. But no, she's nice. She's so nice, actually, that I'm ending this episode with some poetry. Okay, because your year, you know, for the Jews, I know they just had New Year's. A little Rosh Hashanah, dip the apples in the honey. And for everyone else, you got New Year's Eve, December 31st. But really, it's your birthday, right? That's your year. That's your year. Like on people's birthday, I wish them a great year ahead. That's when I say, hey, happy new year, because it's your year. That's your 365 days. That's your trip around the sun. So I got some poetic words, some poetic lyrics, some straight poetry to my wife about our year, because I did just have a birthday. I'm going to recite it right here. I'm going to recite it. The warmth of your love is like the warmth of the sun. And this will be our year. Took a long time to come. Don't let go of my hand. Now darkness has gone. And this will be our year. Took a long time to come. And I won't forget the way you held me up when I was down. And I won't forget The way you said, darling, I love you. You gave me faith to go on. Now we're there, and we've only just begun. This will be our year. 
took a long time to come. When I say it, it's nice, but here's how you should hear it. How nice is that? Fill your soul with love right now to those lyrics of the zombies. This will be our year. Took a long time to come. All right, are we done? Guys, are we done? Guys, we did it. We accomplished another episode. We're really doing it. All right, make sure you drop that rating, that review on iTunes. Come on, pal. I know you got one in you. You've listened to 157 of these. I think it's time. Drop that five star. And also you can follow me on Twitter. I check Twitter once a month. Okay, it's a hot interaction we could have. At jrosenberg957. And you could buy my book, Suddenly Facing Reality, on Amazon. And you could buy my t-shirt after the concert. I'll be at that little table in the corner being very shy. Hey, do you want my t-shirt? You want a keychain? How about a koozie? It's Josh and Sherrod. Weekdays, 3 to 7. Stretching all the content. All right, that is episode 157. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>